Hey, everybody. It is Thursday, February 8th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. The big headline today, everybody, is we are recording this podcast in person. Typically, we do it remotely. But Jill, welcome to Brooklyn. It's wonderful to be here, Mosh. The office looks great. (laughs) We dusted off the desk for you to tape this podcast. And we should note that while we're together today on this Friday Eve, tomorrow for actual Friday, it'll just be Jill. I am flying out to the Middle East where we will be covering the latest uh, in the war for the next few days there. So look out for coverage both on this podcast, in the newsletter, and of course on Instagram. And if it's a solo Jill pod, you know what that means. Under 30 minutes or your money back. (laughs) Yes, as we know, Jill likes to keep it tight. Uh, She promises to at least hit a couple headlines before she says goodbye at the end of the podcast. (laughs) Okay, speaking of headlines, let's get to it. We'll start with politics. The bipartisan immigration bill is officially dead. To the Middle East, the U.S. takes out a top terror group leader in Iraq. While a deal between Israel and Hamas to release the hostages in exchange for a pause in fighting seems less likely, where things stand as the Secretary of State wraps up his trip to the region. Back in the U.S., rescuers search for five Marines after finding their helicopter in a forest in California. The Supreme Court set to hear arguments on whether Donald Trump should be eligible to run for president. 65 years old ain't what it used to be. Most we've come a long way from the Golden Girls, how a record number of 65-year-olds are redefining the milestone. Yeah, I love this story, and so did many people in our audience. In business news, Target taking a page from Amazon and Walmart, reportedly considering a new paid membership program. Prime is taken, Plus is taken. I feel like Target Max is available uh, among the various programs we've seen out there. And imagine spending almost a decade working towards breaking a Guinness Book of World Records only to be told you used the wrong material on your project. And what this means for this man's wife, we'll tell you (laughs) (laughs) later in the podcast. Plus, Moshe is on this day in history. Jill, a big day for the Hollywood Walk of Fame. We'll tell you how it came about and how much it costs today to get your star on Hollywood Boulevard. I didn't realize that they had to pay for it. Nothing in life is free, Jill. (laughs) Okay, let's start with politics. The bipartisan border bill is officially a no-go. On Wednesday, the Senate fell short of the necessary votes to pass the $118 billion package. It also included aid for Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. And after months of negotiations between Republicans and the White House, it also included a plan to beef up border security. That plan needed 60 votes in the Senate to pass, and it only got 49. Officially ending talks to strengthen the border as a record number of migrants have entered the U.S. illegally. If you remember, Republicans had initially demanded border policy changes in exchange for Ukraine aid. But once they got it, they said the immigration plan didn't go far enough. House Republican leadership also said the bill was dead on arrival in that chamber, which turned more Republican senators against it. Now, four Republican senators did vote to advance the bill, and that includes the lead negotiator, Senator James Lankford, as well as Mitt Romney. The measure also lost five Democrats, including Senators Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. Some on the left were concerned about the border policy immigration provisions that were included in the bill. And Sanders is against unconditional aid to Israel, which was also included in the package. 
The $118 billion deal included $14 billion for Israel, $60 billion for Ukraine, aid to Taiwan and humanitarian assistance to Gaza, and also $20 billion in measures to deal with the U.S.-Mexico border. And Moshe, the Senate is slated to leave town on Thursday, starting a two-week recess over the weekend. So unlikely to see moves here for a while if this comes back, though Chuck Schumer is holding out hope that maybe they'll be able to get a deal on this, as are the Republican negotiators here. Bottom line here is this didn't meet the Goldilocks standard. The temperature just wasn't right. It was not hard enough for the right and too hard for some on the left. Chuck Schumer criticizing Senate Republicans over their about face, what he perceived to be an about face here on the vote, saying it all comes down to Trump. He said two words, Donald Trump, even though Republicans knew what the right thing was to do here. And I should add, the criticism did not just come from Schumer here. Senator James Langford, who you mentioned, a a staunch conservative from Oklahoma, he was the chief Republican negotiator on this. In his speech on Wednesday, he said he was disappointed in some of his colleagues for not trying to solve anything here simply because it's an election year. He said that there was actually a very popular conservative commentator, he did not name that person, who told him, if you try to move a bill that solves the border crisis during a presidential year, I will do what I can to destroy you. All right, Moshe, who do you think it is? (laughs) (laughs) I need a name. I know we sometimes uh, engage in speculation here. I will not speculate, but I think there's a number of people that uh, probably wouldn't surprise you that they engage in the conversation. But that effectively was it, right? Once Trump came out against this, he brought with him a lot of House Republicans, and then a lot of Senate Republicans saw where the base was on this and saw that even though Democrats here gave concessions on the border that they've been hoping for for years, if not decades— It was not enough, given the crisis for some Republican lawmakers who said this is historic and this doesn't go far enough. So let's not even bother doing it right now. A reminder, this package would have given the president emergency border authority to mandate the expulsion of migrants when migration levels exceed 5000 a day. Uh, It would have narrowed asylum eligibility, expedited the process to deport people or have hearings, uh, more money for immigration judges. Hundreds of millions of dollars for border wall funding, hundreds of millions also for countries to take back their migrants and resettle them back in their country. So a lot here that was on the Republican Christmas list, but again, doesn't go far enough for where the party is. And there were a lot of other provisions here, right, in regards to Ukraine, Israel, etc. So when the Senate comes back end of February here, uh, we'll see what's possible because election years are not years that we know Congress typically gets much done. Heading overseas, the U.S. killed a senior leader of the Iran-backed group, Katab Hezbollah, in a strike in Iraq on Wednesday. The person targeted was a commander who was in charge of operations in Syria. And this is part of the United States' response to that drone attack that killed three U.S. troops at a base in Jordan. It appears to have been a very specific strike. Pictures and video have come out uh, from Baghdad showing a car in flames. Local officials saying that the attack set the car on fire and it did not appear there was any collateral damage beyond that. The group, Kataib Hezbollah, acknowledging on Telegram, on the messaging platform, that two leaders were killed here. Uh, Notably, they were one of the major groups here involved in the more than 160 attacks on U.S. forces across the region in Iraq, Syria, and Jordan since October. Kataib Hezbollah also sent that drone that killed the three U.S. service members in Jordan, injuring others. Uh, Overall, from these strikes over the past few months, more than 130 U.S. troops uh, have suffered various injuries here. And the Pentagon, Biden, have been promising that the counterstrikes that we saw over the weekend would continue here. 
Sticking with the Middle East, it's looking like there is no deal between Hamas and Israel for the release of more hostages in exchange for a pause in fighting and more aid for Palestinians. Secretary of State Antony Blinken is finishing up his latest Mideast trip. On Wednesday, he met with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and President Isaac Herzog. Blinken said there was still a lot of work to be done, but that they are very much focused on doing the work and being able to resume the release of the hostages. So where do things stand? Hamas has finally responded to the proposal that was sent last week by Egypt and Qatar. Hamas has agreed to release all the remaining Israeli hostages in exchange for a 135-day ceasefire, a full Israeli withdrawal from Gaza, and the release of more than 1,000 Palestinian prisoners, including those serving life sentences, which means that they have been convicted of extremely serious crimes like murder. The plan would have first seen the release of the remaining women and children in exchange for Palestinian prisoners that are being held in Israel, including 500 that Hamas would choose from. Next would be the release of male hostages over the age of 19. Another Hamas demand after the first 45 day phase is complete, Israeli forces would fully withdraw from Gaza. Netanyahu has said that these Hamas requests are delusional. So, Moshe, Lincoln is putting on a good face here. But both sides are pretty far apart. Yeah, even President Biden saying on Wednesday uh, he called the Hamas deal a little over the top in terms of the request here. Among the sticking points, which Palestinian prisoners would be eligible for release and whether Israeli troops would fully have to withdraw from Gaza during this pause. The uh, offer so far from the Israelis is temporary pauses where Israel maintains its military posture. And there appears to be no interest on the part of Israelis in releasing uh, terrorists associated with Hamas who've been involved in murder uh, and attacks. Members of Netanyahu's party saying there is no majority support for any deal like this, especially having to exchange uh, thousands of people with, quote, blood on their hands in exchange for uh, hostages here. And again, Israel has insisted it will not end the fighting permanently until Hamas is destroyed. Hamas obviously is part of this deal looking for an end to the war looking for a complete withdrawal of Israeli forces and looking to live on to fight another day and continuing to maintain control over Gaza. As far as what's next here, given the two sides are pretty far apart, Israel tells the U.S. that the next major operation will include the area called Rafah along the southern border of Egypt. If you look at a map of Gaza right now, again, Gaza is about 25 miles by eight miles. The vast majority of it is now under Israeli control, except for Rafah. That's where there's a number of Hamas battalions, but also where there is more than a million Palestinian refugees. The U.S. has expressed concerns about Israel going in there, trying to figure out where these refugees, these uh, displaced people would go, given that fighting would now take place in Rafah. Humanitarian officials also concerned, Egypt concerned, Egypt does not want to take in displaced Palestinians. This town lies on the Egyptian border. So where would they go? How would this fighting work? And how would the Israelis continue to fight Hamas here? which refuses to concede the fight, refuses to turn over fighters, and also ensure that you don't see a mass number of Palestinian civilians die in the process. And again, Moshe, you're headed to the region this afternoon, so we'll expect some uh, reporting from you there. I'm looking forward to it, Jill. And it comes as just as the fifth month of fighting is continuing here. So we'll do a status check on what's going on and really try to bring you all perspectives from the region. All right, plenty of news coming up. But uh, first, we want to thank some of our sponsors, starting with Factor Meal. We are definitely pressed for time in my household and still want to eat healthy and nutritious meals. 
And that's why we are so excited about Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal delivery service. They can help you fuel up fast for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with chef-prepared, dietitian-approved, ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. I have been loving them in my house. I grab them and I have them for lunch usually, and I feel like I'm so luxurious. They are delicious. They're not like frozen grocery store lunches or dinners. And you get to skip the extra trip to the grocery store, plus the chopping and prepping and cleaning up while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality that you need. Factors, fresh, never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. So all you have to do is heat and enjoy. Choose from more than 35 weekly meals and it's flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing six to 18 meals per week. Plus, you could pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And they also have cold, fresh juices, shakes, and smoothies. Just head to factormeals.com slash monews50. Use the code monews5050 to get 50% off. That is code monews50 at factormeals.com slash monews50 to get 50% off. Now to another longtime sponsor of the podcast, as we always talk about health trends, food trends, getting your nutrients, Athletic Greens AG1 Powder. They are a longtime partner here at Monus. And what I'm actually asked a lot about from our listeners when I get to meet them in the real world, I first tried AG1 when I was having trouble getting all my nutrients uh, and taking a whole variety of vitamins more than a year and a half ago. It's just one scoop with a glass of water in the morning. Is it my favorite thing uh, to eat every day? Definitely not. But I'm going to be honest with you guys. It's important to me to get those prebiotics, probiotics, those 75 important ingredients, vitamins and minerals, basically what we call here the nutritional insurance policy. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is offering Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. You can visit drinkag1.com slash monews. That is drinkag, the number one, dot com slash monews to take advantage of the special offer. One more time, drinkag1.com slash monews for the special deal and really start to take ownership of your health. Time now for the speed read from CNN. Rescue crews are searching for five U.S. Marines after finding their military helicopter in Southern California's Pine Valley. This is according to the 3rd Marine Aircraft Wing. The CH-53E Super Stallion had been reported overdue en route late Tuesday from a base near Las Vegas to one in San Diego. Searchers on Wednesday combed difficult, muddy terrain for the aircraft amid a rain-snow mix. We've been telling you about that rainy and snowy weather in the California area. The CH-53E is a heavy-lift helicopter. It can move troops and equipment and carry as much as 16 tons of cargo, according to the Navy. Winds were gusting up to 20 miles per hour on Tuesday evening near Pine Valley. That's about 40 miles east of Marine Corps Air Station Miramar. And winds were likely stronger at higher elevations. The Sheriff's Department uh, was using 4x4s in the area due to the difficult and muddy terrain. Uh, we should mention Super Stallion helicopters have been involved in several wrecks over the past decade, at least two of them fatal. From the Associated Press, the fate of former President Trump's attempt to return to the White House is in the hands of the U.S. Supreme Court. Effective today, the justices will be hearing arguments this morning in Trump's appeal of a Colorado Supreme Court ruling that he is not eligible to run again for president. Colorado ruled that his name should be removed from the ballot because he violated a provision in the 14th Amendment preventing those who engaged in insurrection from holding office. 
Many legal observers expect that the nation's highest court will reverse the Colorado ruling instead of removing the leading contender for the Republican presidential nomination from the ballot. But it's always tricky to predict a Supreme Court ruling, and the case against Trump has already broken new legal ground. Always difficult to predict. In this case, I think, though, a lot of people will be shocked if somehow the U.S. Supreme Court backs up Colorado here. Uh, You mentioned the 14th Amendment, Section 3 there, Jill. Notably, it mentions electors, senators, representatives who have engaged in insurrection or rebellion or given aid or comfort to enemies. And Trump's lawyers have said, notice who's not mentioned there, presidents. They're trying to get very specific (laughs) here. So when they wrote this, I don't know that the people writing this thought that presidents might engage in insurrection. So maybe they just didn't list them. But if you look at the clause in the Constitution, it mentions electors, senators, representatives. And the Trump people are like, well, doesn't mention presidents. So, (laughs) I mean, how could it apply? And, you know, we have many people in the Supreme Court who are all about being very specific as to the people who wrote amendments and the Constitution and what they intend. It also says that those who take an oath to support the U.S., the Trump people claim, the presidential oath doesn't use the word support. The presidential oath says preserve, protect, and defend. So those are some of the technicalities there. Uh, The Trump lawyers also note that precedent-wise, this has rarely been used, and when it was used in the uh, 1800s, just after the Civil War, that uh, justice said that effectively their understanding was that it should require a congressional act to kick someone off the ballot. It can't just be left to judges. So there's a lot of areas here they could explore. The Trump people also claiming that what happened on January 6th isn't technically an insurrection based on their definition of insurrection. So a lot of avenues here, or I should say off-ramps for the Supreme Court to uh, not kick them off the ballot, but they do certainly have to rule on this because you've had a number of states here, more than a dozen, that have had groups either through the courts or secretaries of state considering or kicking Trump off the ballot. So the Supreme Court does have to rule here. And as we mentioned in yesterday's pod, they have that separate case related to presidential immunity. So a couple big Trump cases here uh, will be interesting to hear today's arguments. Even some Democrats and people who really do not like Donald Trump have said that they think that this election should be up to the voters and not really up to the Supreme Court. Exactly, that that voters should be able to choose themselves who wins and who loses and shouldn't have the choice made for them by, you know, an individual secretary of state or judge. So I think we know where this case is going, but still will be interesting to see which off ramp the court tries to take here. All right. From The Wall Street Journal, more Americans are turning 65 this year than any prior time in history. Today's 65 year olds are redefining a milestone long associated with retirement parties and the end of productive years. They are wealthier and by many measures healthier and expect to live about 20 more years. A growing number are divorced. Many have been turning their focus to what they want in this next stage. One consultant telling the Wall Street Journal that being 65 is not just thinking about who you were, but what you might become in a new chapter. About 4.1 million Americans will reach 65 years old this year, reaching a surge that will continue through 2027, according to an analysis by the Retirement Income Institute and also the Bipartisan Policy Center. So that's about 11,200 a day compared with the 10,000 daily average from the previous decade. 
kind of an interesting way to think about that, right? (laughs) Everyone who's turning 65. Um, And they're also working longer. Nearly 20% of Americans 65 and older were employed in 2023. That is nearly double the share of those who were working 35 years ago, according to a recent report from the Pew Research Center. Many in this age group are working because they need the money now or they want to build bigger retirement reserves. They don't outlive their savings, according to the AARP. Also, they enjoy their work and the opportunity for ongoing learning and social connections. So as we were saying before the pod, Jill, the Golden Girls era, this ain't, if they redid the show today, you'd have Dorothy, Sophia, Rose and company doing very different things. And definitely different hairstyles. Yeah, they'd be playing pickleball, among other things, (laughs) and potentially working according to these numbers to be more representative. Uh, Interestingly, the 65-year-olds of today are wealthier than their predecessors. And this includes inflation-adjusted numbers. So the median net worth of uh, Americans, 65 to 74, now $410,000. That's up from $280,000 just in 2010. So less than 15 years ago, a significant difference here. And again, inflation-adjusted here. Now, a lot of that reflects rising home values and retirement accounts. You know, the stock market, you know, pretty much gangbusters. And a lot more are now invested there as opposed to just depending on pension plans and, again, home values. Though not all baby boomers have fared as well, those 75 and older have had a 13% gain in median net worth versus the 45% increase among the under 74 bracket. You mentioned how active people are. A greater share of 65-year-olds reported meeting federal physical activity guidelines at at least 150 minutes a week of moderate-intensity aerobic activity. And then they're out and about, and they're single. The divorce rate among people 65 and older has tripled since 1990. Now, the journal says it isn't clear why a larger share of the 65-plus crowd are getting divorced, but it could just be partly the result of longevity, as in uh, they become widowers or they're now with their partner for so long, they've decided maybe it is time to you know try something different. Single and ready to mingle. Yeah, there's been some fun stories about the 65-plus dating scene as people try to meet each other for you know stage two or stage three of their lives. But uh, an interesting sign of times here, and the journal puts together some nice numbers, uh, and we uh, posted it over on Instagram accounts so you can see some of the charts. Mosh, only adding to my uh, argument that there should be a 60 over 60, a, a Forbes list of people who are doing cool stuff later in life. Yeah, Jill is very anti-30 under 30 and 40 under 40. <laughs> Maybe it's because we were never on the 40 under 40, but we're all about the 40 over 40 or 65 over 65. Uh, Jill, I sent this story to my mother, who happens to be 65 years old this year, and said, you know, exciting times ahead. It's just the beginning. From Bloomberg, Target is weighing a new paid membership program similar to Amazon Prime or Walmart Plus as it looks for ways to fuel growth and compete against bigger rivals called Project Trident. Internally, the new program could launch as soon as this year, according to Bloomberg. Target already offers a free loyalty program called Target Circle that gives users deals and rewards for their purchases. This new program would go beyond that to offer other benefits and require a fee. It could incorporate Shipped, the grocery delivery business that the company bought back in 2017. Where have they been, Mosh? <laughs> <laughs> I guess they were living high on the hog. You know, Target knows that people love their Target. Uh, that you can't walk out of there without spending a couple hundred dollars and buying a bunch of stuff you didn't anticipate 
wanting, but the chain has been facing months of declining sales here as consumers pull back in discretionary spending and their competitors have been in this game for a while, right? Amazon Prime has been around since 05, nearly 20 years of Amazon Prime. Walmart launched Walmart Plus back in 2020. Kroger has its Boost paid membership program. And so Target knows that it has to get involved here, it appears, uh, that it is a way to continue growth. It'll be interesting to see here, this is an early leak, so we don't know the exact details here of what it's called, how much it'll cost, what it'll involve. You know, you imagine it has to include free shipping, right? It also probably needs perks like gas savings, et cetera, that you're seeing with these other programs. And so we'll see what Target can come up with here uh, and how it plays with what is a pretty loyal audience, a pretty loyal crowd that goes to Target? Including my five-year-old. If you ask her, my husband has her trained that when we go into Target, there is one rule, which is stay focused. There's a lot in there. Especially for a five-year-old. <laughs> I mean, five-year-olds in general come back with things that they say they need, right? And a 40-something also. <laughs> From CNN, at night, many of us have seen a horde of moths and other insects circling around a porch light or a street lamp. But despite the old saying that you are attracted to something like moths to a flame, it is not that moths are attracted to lights, but rather they are trapped in a disorienting orbit around the artificial light. This story, I should say, Jill, has me feeling sympathy for moths for the first time in my life. I totally feel the same way, Moshe. This is according to scientists in a study published in the journal Nature Communications. New research reveals the mechanism behind this phenomenon. Scientists tracked insects' movements in 3D around lights, Using motion capture cameras and stereo videography, they found that instead of steering straight towards lights, insects tilt their backs toward the light source. This reflex gone awry traps them in looping circular flights. This includes dragonflies, moths, butterflies, and other night flying insects as well. Aw, bad. <laughs> <laughs> These poor insects trapped in a disorienting orbit of artificial light. So apparently, biologically here, before artificial lights existed, gazing skyward was a gauge for which way was up for all of these insects and bugs. And so insects would tilt their backs towards the brightest visual area to know which way was up. But near lights, artificial lights, this backfires. So why is this significant? Why are they studying this? Well, it could inform conservation, especially efforts to reduce light pollution's heavy toll on insects. Researchers suggest that reducing upward-facing lights and ground reflections could help night-flying insects. Many studies now in the past decade all point to a serious, dramatic decline in insect abundance across the globe. Plummeting insect populations could impact ecosystems. And us humans, they are the base of the food chain. They pollinate the crops we eat. They dispose of waste. They help with soils. So while, you know, we might laugh about this or think this is insignificant or think, well, there's billions of, or trillions of them, our artificial lights actually do have an impact here. So thanks to the scientists who uh, dug around here. It, it'll have me rethinking the phrase moss to a flame. I'll now be like, oh. <laughs> the new meaning of moth to a flame is just confused and disoriented. I confused, guess. <laughs> disorienting, looping. Speaking of confused. Or another story that has a saying, oh. Uh, <laughs> this story from NBC News, a Frenchman who spent eight years building a 24-foot matchstick model of the Eiffel Tower has been denied a world record because he used the wrong type of matches. 
Richard Plowd started to make his replica of the iconic Paris landmark back in 2015, and he hoped that upon completion, he would secure a place in the Guinness World Records for the tallest matchstick sculpture. But the organization has ruled that most of the 706,900 matches that he used are ineligible for an official record because they were not commercially available and have been altered significantly from their original form. His 24-foot model of the Eiffel Tower easily beats the existing record by two feet. But Moshe, alas, no official record. At least not from Guinness. And in fact, Richard said that the officials from Guinness made the decision without even visiting his model. He's like, you didn't even come and see it. So he's 47 years old. He started by buying matches in supermarkets and then manually cutting off the heads of the matches to put together this replica Eiffel Tower. In a bid to ease the process, he actually persuaded the maker of the matches, a French manufacturer, to supply him in bulk with boxes of matches without the heads. That, my friend Richard, is Ah. the issue. So he got these specialty matches without the heads so he could build this replica Eiffel Tower. And he spent the last eight years building this thing at his home. He actually finished it on December 27th, the 100th anniversary of Gustav Eiffel's death. That, of course, Gustav was the original tower's engineer. So he puts the finishing touches on this. Apparently, his wife, Sandra, God love Sandra, she told a local French television station that she was looking forward to getting her living room back because he's been building it in the living room for eight years. So it remains to be seen what happens with this replica Eiffel Tower. He doesn't have the Guinness record. He certainly got a lot of headlines out of it. But I guess there's a lot of lessons in this. First and foremost, if you're going to spend eight years of your life putting together 706,000 matches to do a replica 24-foot Eiffel Tower, check with Guinness first to make sure you're doing it right. At least nobody knocked it over. That would have been (laughs) maybe worse. Yes. No, there are many things that could be worse here, especially also if you're building something with matchsticks. That's a dangerous thing. (laughs) But word to the wise, if you're planning on beating uh, the existing record, which is held by a Lebanese gentleman, uh, make sure you're using commercially available matchsticks to build your Eiffel Tower replica. And I am happy for his wife. I'm, I'm happy for Sandra, but I, I don't know where this is going to go now. If you own a museum somewhere, it sounds like Richard is looking to offload this now that he's spent eight years of his life building something that doesn't put him in the book. All right. As always, we end with On This Day in History. We're going to begin in 1879, 145 years ago today. We got the first idea of time zones around the world. His name is Sir Sanford Fleming. He was a Scottish engineer who immigrated to Canada. And so he's an inventor responsible for a variety of innovations. But most notably, he thought we should have time zones across the world, given the way the Earth turns and how it's different time in different places. So after he put out this concept on this day in history, about five years later, it would be adopted internationally. All right, fast forward to the 20th century now. On this day in 1960, construction of the Hollywood Walk of Fame began, one of L.A.'s main tourist attractions. It goes now 15 blocks of Hollywood Boulevard and three blocks of Vine Street in L.A. The initial concept here was to honor uh, celebrities. There are six categories, motion pictures, TV, radio, recording, live theater, and sports entertainment. It began with just a handful back then in 1960. Now, an average of two stars are added to the Walk of Fame every month. As of last year, more than 2,700 stars now on the Walk of Fame. They get about 200 applicants every year. They accept about 24 to 30. It's run by the Hollywood Chamber of Commerce, a nonprofit. And most importantly, Jill, in order to get your star on the Walk of Fame, you got to pay 75 grand. 
Okay, so A, you have to apply for this. Yeah. <laughs> which I did not know. And then you've got to pay $75,000? You know, listen, depending on how much money you have, I feel like if you have a good shot of getting on the Walk of Fame, like, it's a pretty big deal. And I don't think, I mean, besides the people listening to this podcast, how many people actually know that you pay for that honor? So... Uh, for most part, they're like, oh, well, you know, they were a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> no one knows I'm footing the bill. Though, interestingly, the price has gone up over time. Apparently, back in the 80s, it was only two grand. And so inflation-wise, that's sort of blown up in terms of cost here. So I think some people who got in a while back really got a great deal because this thing seems to be getting pretty pricey pretty quickly. Speaking of people on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, Martin Scorsese's Taxi Driver came out on this day in history in 1976. It had its official premiere. I'm walking here. I'm walking here. A line that was apparently ad-libbed by Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. As he's crossing the street there, they were shooting it in New York City, and Hoffman came up with that on the fly. And so some of these iconic lines from movie history, they came up with on the spot. We end here with a piece of music history. I'm too sexy for my shirt. An iconic song from the 90s on this day, 32 years ago, I'm Too Sexy by Right Said Fred reached number one on the Billboard charts. So the group includes two brothers, Richard and Fred Fairbase. And you might have seen their names on the credits to a recent Taylor Swift song because it turns out that her single, Look What You Made Me Do, follows the rhythmic pattern of I'm Too Sexy. Listen very closely. And so uh, she reached out to them. She effectively lifted the beat for her song. And they said, sure, we're very happy with what you did with our song for Look What You Made Me Do. Look what you made me do. Look what you made me do. Yeah. Um, Too sexy for my shirt. Too sexy for my shirt. There you go. And obviously, there's a lot of that that happens in music. Some with permission in this case, some without permission, which leads to those lawsuits. All right, Mosh, with your permission, I'm going to wrap up the podcast. Thank you for listening to the Mo News Podcast. If you like what you hear, please share this with your friends. It will help us grow. Follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode and review us in the App Store. And of course, we thank all of you who have joined us at Mo News Premium. It's a place to support what we're doing here on this podcast, in the newsletter, on Instagram, and also get access to our premium podcast, our members-only Instagram account. Get your questions answered about the news, uh, behind-the-scenes access, and also 24-7 weekend coverage all weekend long over on Instagram. So you can do that by joining over at mo.news slash premium. Mosh, the only thing we forgot was to wish everyone a happy Friday Eve. So happy Friday Eve, everybody. Enjoy the day. Happy Friday Eve. You got Jill Solo tomorrow, but we trust she'll (laughs) keep it under 30 minutes, but still give you a bunch of headlines. (laughs) All right. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.